0: Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And welcome to our Solstice 2020 episode. Yeah, and it is
1: our one-year anniversary. Our very first episode was for the Solstice for 2019, and uh, here we are, a year later.
0: Man, what a shit show it <laughs> <laughs> The year, not our podcast. Yes, I well, hopefully everyone's in agreement about that. So, you know, I remember early on us recording and pulling a card for the year, and I remember us talking about transitioning from an empress to an emperor year and mm-hmm. wondering what that was going to come out looking like. And now here we are, having gone through this very exhausting year of, you know, pandemic that's not over and Trump's crap, which is also not over. Yeah, I remember, I haven't, I haven't
1: re-listened to that episode recently, but I remember recording it and I think we were both trying to put a very positive spin on the emperor that, you know, it's like about taking up space and it's about like, you know, being the leader you know, it turns out that other people took up a whole lot of space and leaders were insane.
0: So fortunately, you know, we, we definitely made a huge effort to talk about the positive aspects of the emperor. And as you said, you know, taking up space and owning that and wearing your own crown. And we were talking about, you know, it doesn't have to be all bad. It doesn't have to be that sort of soul sucking toxic masculinity. And yet, and yeah, unfortunately, it went the other way. Yeah, uh, because uh, Trump's toxic masculinity has landed us into the middle of a very large third wave of COVID. Yeah, and so
1: next year, I mean, I assume we'll probably talk about this uh, in January. But the the next year would, of course, be the Hierophant, right? I'm I'm actually pretty terrible at remembering the numbers of the major arcana. I I shouldn't admit that as someone who's been reading tarot for thirty years that. I cannot remember how the numbers of the major kind of go together in sequence, but the hierophant, right? Yes, hierophant. And hopefully it will be about learning from our ancestors and contri- continuing good traditions and not some sort of, you know, overarching uh, conservative religious law crushing
0: us. So, you know... <laughs> I am, I am hopeful for, for the Biden presidency of being, you know, slightly less soul-suckingly evil. Yeah. So I'll talk
1: about this now, since we're bringing it up about the, the year in general, that the, so this whole year, astrologically speaking, can really be summed up with this kind of grouping of Pluto, Saturn, and Jupiter in Capricorn. Saturn and Pluto have been conjunct in Capricorn I think you know they started off the year that way and then Jupiter and Pluto have been conjunct a few times and also in Capricorn but right now they are Pluto will stay in Capricorn because Pluto moves very very slowly but Saturn and Jupiter are both shifting into Aquarius and Saturn and Jupiter will be conjunct in Aquarius on the winter solstice and this is the first time in twenty in 200 years that this conjunction has happened in an air sign. It's always been in earth signs for the past 200 years. So we're starting this new 200 year cycle of this conjunction, it's called the great conjunction, happening in air signs. So that is new and exciting. And I think that this kind of just this slog of a year of like everything in Capricorn and I don't want to bash capricorns my moon sign is in capricorn i identify strongly with that capricorn energy but it can be a real asshole. Um, and with all these conjunctions happening there you know there's there's plague indicators with these conjunctions like you know it's this terrible year can really be summed up with those conjunctions and i think with this winter solstice this conjunction happening in aquarius being the air sign I'm really seeing it as this breath of clean air, kind of just like blowing things away and starting up a new cycle. That's not to say that everything is miraculously going to be better. New beginnings are hard. You have to relearn a lot of things. But um, I think that there's, you know, there's just a lot of this is a big cycle change that's happening. And the other thing about the Great Conjunction that people may have heard of is that there is this um, supposed curse against U.S. presidents that presidents who, since 1840, presidents who are elected during the year of a Great Conjunction die in office. This is... this has been breaking down recently so so reagan was elected during a great conjunction and someone tried to assassinate him but they missed and so that was a failed assassination attempt with reagan and then uh george w bush didn't die at all or any serious assassin people try to some astrologers try to like really like you know like like well there was this incident that like but Really, no. George W. Bush is still alive.
0: I mean, he did almost choke on that pretzel that one time. He did,
1: that's true. And not, <laughs> and, like, Kennedy was was elected during one of these conjunctions, you know, I think uh, Lincoln was elected during one of these conjunctions. So, like, the big assassinations happened. But also, was it Harrison who, like, forgot to wear a hat and, like, talked forever in the middle of the rain for his inauguration, immediately caught ammonia and died? He was also, <laughs> like... <laughs> U.S. history was a long time for me, but a long time ago, I think it was Harrison. They sometimes, sometimes they die naturally in office, but this is like from 1840 until the 1980s, there was this curse. So um, that's something that people have been talking about as well. But like I said, it seems like George W. Bush broke that curse for however.
0: You know, maybe technology caught up to the point where it was overriding the astrological tendencies. Yeah. So, so that's, that's
1: also, you know, something that's, brought up with the great conjunction but it is some people also say that the great conjunction was the star of bethlehem that the astrologers saw when jesus was born so like there's this it's this it has this history of foretelling um the deaths and births and um changes in leaderships of royalty and politicians and stuff like that it's it's always you know, for thousands of years has been really tied to that. So, you know, we're all hoping for regime change, uh, in, in a normal orderly way. I don't like, you know, so. You
0: know, at least, at least if, you know, Biden doesn't make it to the end of his term, at least we get Kamala. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now it could be so much
1: worse. Oh, yes, yes. So, yeah, so I wanted to bring that up that, you know, I do think a lot of people are like oh you know don't don't count on 2021 being any better it will be better i think you know astrologically it will it's it, it will be better but it won't be it's not going to be magically fixed <laughs> it will just be better than it is now which is probably a pretty easy bar to pass
0: yeah that's fair that that is a pretty pretty low bar so just how much emperor energy we we're going to end up having this year <laughs> And obviously, you know, we took a break when the pandemic first started and then, you know, my dad passed away and that was another thing. And it's been, it's been a rough year, but I'm proud that we've, you know, made it, even with some (laughs) some interruptions. Yeah.
1: So that's actually a good time to tell people that we are planning to take a little break just, you know, for the winter holidays and to kind of recoup and um, plan new episodes. So we're doing this episode And then we're going to take a couple uh, weeks off and then we'll be back at the end of January.
0: Yeah, so this episode that you're listening to is on December 12th and our next episode will be coming back on January 30th. But this means that if you're a new listener, you have time to go back and catch up on episodes you might have missed. Our very first episode, we were talking about our paths to becoming witches and how we got started on these journeys. So, if that's something that you've been wondering about, definitely go back and check out episode one. And actually, Becca, I was wondering if you have a favorite episode that we've recorded this year, and what is it? Oh wow, favorite episode—it's actually kind of
1: hard. There, there's several. I think I've really loved all of the episodes that we've had that we've had guests on because I got to find out what like my friends' pasts are, that we've never had that conversation, and I've got to meet new people. I think all together, I mean, it's a dark subject. I really liked our episode on death, episode 10. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So yeah, so I think I liked that one, and then, um, you know, I would say our first interview with Lauren, episode two, um, where she talked about Bane work and that stuff, I think that that, I really liked that episode. What, what, What are some of your favorites?
0: I really liked that episode with Lauren too, and I honestly, you know, when we set out to do this, right, we had written out sort of this whole plan for themes that we were going to discuss for the year and we had ideas for guest speakers. And obviously the the year took us in a really unexpected uh, direction instead. And we ended up in places that I really enjoyed, but we hadn't planned ahead. And so I was glad that we kind of had that flexibility I really enjoyed having Dr. Bershani-Reese to talk about, you know, witchcraft in the prison system, which is something that I never would have sort of guessed when we started this, and I thought that that was amazing. Uh, You know, I liked that we had a conversation with Tom O'Brien Valor on, you know, how science and religion can come together, and that's something that we'd sort of been building towards, talking about weather modification, and uh, I really enjoyed that. I mean, honestly, I think it's been really fun having all the conversations. So you're right. It is kind of a hard question.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I do know that, you know, you were just saying, you know, encouraging people to go back and listen to the earlier episodes. And I know that a lot of our listeners are doing that. You know, I look at our stats every month and I see that, you know, people are listening to the most recent episode But then right behind it, it's like episode one, episode two. So people are really going back and listening to that episode, the original or the earlier episodes. And, you know, I'm, that's just so amazing to me that I think that that's looking back at this year and this podcast. The thing that's amazing to me is that people are listening to this, (laughs) like, you know, like 300 people in a week will listen to a new episode. Like that's that and people you are you guys are like tuning in the day we release something. We release something and with an hour, like seventy-five people have listened to it. That is crazy to me.
0: And it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like
1: um, so that the fact that like, you know, when we were talking before we started recording, like, you know, we're not advertising this, you know, it's all just, you know, people follow us on Instagram or like we tell people and they tell their friends. So the fact that people are finding us, the fact that people are listening, the fact that you're coming back for more and re-listening to the old episodes, like I am just so, I'm blown away and grateful for that. Just that, that the people are having that reaction. Um, it is, it's, it's, I won't say that it's more than I hoped for because I definitely did hope for it, but it's, um, it's more than I
0: expected. Yeah, and it's awesome. And it's great that we've had people send us questions. And this is also a reminder that please send us questions because we're doing this to you know, help other people on their paths and just share knowledge. So please let us know if there's anything that you want us to tackle in the next year. You can email us at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. We do love hearing from you. Uh, that actually brings me to another thing I wanted to bring up. You know, in episode one, we were talking about our paths and the different things we wanted to talk about. And I talked about identifying as a shamanic witch but the shamanism hasn't featured so much in our you know first season so far so that's definitely something I want to get into more and so if folks have questions about that you know definitely definitely let us know
1: yeah I know that um you know I've been to several of your workshops when you were having them in person and having workshops in person was a thing that we did like I don't know the before times are weird to Think about, but I find them very uh, useful, and it definitely um, opened me up to different ways of interacting with spirit and introduced me to my
0: spirit uh, animal, lobster. So, well, I, you know, I'm still working on figuring out an online format for that because I don't think we're going to be meeting in person anytime soon. So, hopefully, uh, we'll have some information about that. But one thing that hopefully I'll be releasing before we're back at the end of January, is a new tarot workshop on the tarot triads in the major arcana. So definitely check our website for updates on that. And, um, oh, actually that's something, my YouTube channel,
1: I finally got enough subscribers that I have a URL that I can tell people. It is, if you go to youtube.com slash C slash this magic house, you will find my channel. It's not just a random string of numbers and letters anymore. So that's exciting.
0: Hey, congratulations. <laughs> One thing that Becca and I did before we got started is we uh, you know, both drew cards for what direction to take this podcast in. And, and of course, you know, for more than six months now, we haven't been recording in the same room. We're doing this on Zoom. Uh, the closest that Becca and I have seen each other in person is when I am handing her a bag with tarot decks across the deck you know, your front steps, uh, we'll both yeah. so, you know, we each drew three cards, uh, on, you know, our end side of Zoom, and so we drew these without seeing each other's cards, and I feel like the cards that we got were super awesome, and, and, awesome. and relate to each other, like, they,
1: they, I think they speak to very similar things. Yeah, so what cards did you draw? So I drew the Ace of Pentacles, the Empress, and the Ace of Swords. So, you know, I think I'm going to need to meditate a little bit on the meaning for this, but I think with those two aces, I think that there's definitely some uh, new beginnings uh, in the new year for the podcast. Some things that, you know, we've talked about some little tweaks, which will be a surprise until January. (laughs) So I think that, you know, there's some of that. I think with the Ace of Pentacles, you know, we've talked about putting together a Patreon to see if, you know, there's some uh, some additional types of material that people would be interested in and having kind of like that private group rather than the main podcast. So I think that there's things like that. With the Empress, I think, you know, just keep growing and creating Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the Ace of Swords, it's, I, I would think that the first thing that comes to my mind with the Ace of Swords is to expand the reach of who we're talking to for our interviews and to get some, to get new ideas, to get, you know, new people and outside of our, our normal bubbles. And we've already, you know, we already have some of those people lined up that we're just scheduling times for. So, you know, that's what I'm
0: seeing there. And the the cards that I got, I got the Six of Pentacles, the High Priestess, and the Queen of Pentacles. So I feel like we're getting some really big, powerful, badass, you know, femme witch goddess vibes, which I think is awesome. I see the Queen of Pentacles and the Empress as being, you know, super similar. Obviously, the High Priestess and the Empress sit together in the major arcana, And so I'm seeing all this sort of, you know, creative energy and manifestation energy and spiritual growth. So it all looks very awesome and very exciting.
1: And with the Six of Pentacles, you know, that it's both getting the resources you need and giving resources to others, which I think is really what we started this podcast to do is to give resources to people who are looking to be a part of the community
0: or they're starting their path or wanting to grow their path. So I think that's very exciting. Yeah, That actually reminds me that I got an email maybe an hour before we started recording from someone that I met at an art retreat three, four years at this point uh, ago. And she emailed me because her daughter is interested in learning about witchcraft. Her daughter's 14 and wants my help putting together like a little like baby witch starter kit, which is really sweet. (laughs) And, you know, I have to say that when I first met this woman at this retreat, however many years ago, I had no idea that no, I'd be in a public enough place that anyone would see me as any sort of like a reference point for this. So that's right. awesome, you know, right before we're talking more about this.
1: Um, so before we rec- started recording this, we both had a chance to go back and listen to that first episode to see like, you know, what our plans were and compare contrast to where we are today. My feeling was that we're actually we stayed on target i think that there's there's not a lot in that first episode that we're like oh this is what we want to do these are you know and that we've strayed from really i think the biggest change is like kind of a gradual change that we were very when we started we were very you know salem focused we were inviting our friends who live nearby we were talking about things that really were happening in salem and as the years progressed we've kind of you know especially when we have guests we've kind of expanded past that Ash is from Canada. Another person we're talking about in, you know, having on is, you know, is in California. We're talking to someone who is in Florida, I think. So we're kind of really expanding outwards from our little bubble. So I think that that, that's definitely changed in my mind about what we're doing, but I think that's a really positive change. Uh, Yeah, overall, I think I think we've really kept to what we wanted to do. How what do you think?
0: Yeah, I agree. I you know, I still feel like talking to folks who aren't just here in Salem is still part of that Salem witch experience because people from all over the world, you know, travel to Salem for that. And that's not just people looking for answers, but folks who are teachers, right? Like you come to Salem to participate in the events here is right. this is where people are looking for that, so I think that we're sort of continuing the the tradition of Salem kind of being the portal to witchcraft knowledge in, in many ways, so I think that that's, that's awesome.
1: When you re-listened to the episode, were there things that you thought, oh, we said we were going to do that, and we're not
0: doing it, or do you think that we are keeping to our plan? You're talking more about shamanism, definitely, But, you know, one thing that I'd forgotten about that you mentioned in the first episode that I just loved is the unverified personal gnosis, uh, (laughs) UPG as an experience, because we were talking about how that's very much, you know, how we operate. And I guess, interestingly now, everyone that we've talked to really operates within that direct revelation type of practice, right? We've not really had anyone here that, you know, was really committed to a very, I guess, traditional path with with strict rules. Right. You know, if anything, you know, one of the things that we were talking about very early on was, you know, how does one find community and participate in community? But everyone that we've talked to has really talked about the struggles of being part of a community. And I've sort of ended the year wondering, you know, why do we all feel like we have to be practicing with other people. And yet it's, you know, we all seem to find ourselves kind of pushed away from that in the reality of the practice. Yeah.
1: and actually thinking about it from like a personal perspective, I think that part of it from, I'm going to say this is from my perspective. Um, I'm not going to say this is a universal thing, but I'm, I have a feeling that other people will agree with me is that looking for a group I distrust groups that would have me as a member, <laughs> but like, and it's very. That's a very like self-deprecating um, way of looking at things. But I, I can, I can definitely be very down on myself, and that's something okay, that wait I'm. Wait a minute, I go uh, into I'm working a on space with you. Do you distrust me? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, like on on a one-on-one level, yes, I like you know. I gather my friends together, but like in a larger group, if I was going to something, an event that had 20 people there and they were all like, yes, join us. I'm like, what? Okay, so what's your deal? Something weird here. One or two people saying, hey, you're cool. Let's hang out. That I understand. But like if an entire group is just like, yes, we accept you. I don't and trust it's
0: just that. And they're actually just going to murder all your friends and cover you in flowers.
1: Probably, yeah. Oh, <laughs> or they're literally selling something. I think that there's, yeah, there's this like level of distrust. And like I said, part of it is this kind of self-deprecating thing of a lot of, like, like I said, I have a Capricorn moon and a lot of people think I'm a bitch. I'll just put that right out there. Really, I'm not talking to you because I'm a giant bundle of anxiety. It's not that I'm stuck up and I don't, I feel like I'm better than you. And I just, I'm I'm talking to the people I went to high school here with. Uh, so, (laughs) So I think that there's this, Mm, like, you know, I I don't always make the greatest first impression on people. So if too many people are immediately uh, saying that they like me, I assume that they're lying. (laughs) But the other thing on the other side of that is not trusting the motivations of groups, of not trusting the motivations of group leaders, of why have you put this group together? Why are you looking for people to join your group? What kind of Power structure are you looking for like there's a lot of a lot of us have not just in not just in religious circumstances, not just in witchy circumstances but just in general life in interacting with other people on a social level there's this this idea of like well, what are you looking for? People are constantly trying to get power and like we were talking about you know like politics and the terrible politicians that are in charge and there's you know real assholes look for power and they look for people who are followers and we've all had that experience and we're all very um wary of that i think and especially those of us who prefer to have that kind of direct revelation experience with deity who want to think for ourselves who want to come up with our own answers the idea that someone else is going to try to give us answers is kind of hostile.
0: See, I, okay. I, I I guess I see it from a slightly different lens because I've had an ongoing relationship now with a high priestess for, oh God, how old am I? So it's <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm 37 now. I was 17 when I started working with her. So it's been, you know, more than half my life. Mm-hmm. And I've never had a relationship with her that was about her telling me what to think or what's right. Mm-hmm. Her job has always been to give me the tools to do it myself. So her role has been to sort of hold space for my process of direct revelation and to teach me the tools that she's learned. Right. But she very much has always been insistent on, I am not here to to answer it for you. And so Uh, You know, that was also my hopes when I was, you know, working with the coven and, uh, you know, hoping to be able to continue that tradition wasn't to say, well, I'm going to be here to give people answers, but rather to provide that kind of container for other people. But then again, that's the same way that I run, you know, my shamanism circles that you've been to, that it's Mm -hmm. I'm not there to you know, go on a journey and bring answers back. I'm there to hold space for other people in their process.
1: Right. And I think the fact that you had that experience when you were younger, and that has been your experience, allows you to be more open to the idea of other groups that you, have you know, your group experience has been positive. My group experience has been things imploding.
0: Um, so I've definitely had the the bad experiences too, but I guess it, you know that's the the addiction you keep chasing that that first high. That <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> wow. and I think you know what you're talking about. I think the other side of that is that there are people who want to be followers and who just want who really are looking for someone else to tell them all the answers, and that creates its own sort of toxicity, especially when they get together with the people who want to be hardcore leaders those groups can become very toxic and you know
0: it's interesting because now I realize and you know anyone who's listened for a while knows that I own a knitting slash tarot store and so I spend a lot of time teaching knitting in addition to teaching tarot and shamanism and those things and I've also realized that even within the realm of knitting there's sort of two two veins of you know knitting teachers or yarn shop owners there's the people that will that you'll go to them and they'll tell you well here's what you're making next and it's with this and here you go and there's the people who love that they just want to be told what to make you just show up and you know get handed the materials and you leave and you go and you make the thing you weren't told to make and my approach has been I am not there to tell anyone else what to do I want to figure out what interests you most and what you want to make and I'm going to help you get there and so you know there are people who come to me and say you know well what am I making next and I'm like well I'm not here to decide that for you. And some people don't respond well to that because they want to have that very direct, like, I'm going to tell you what to do, and you're just going to find relief in not making choices. And that's not the people that I'm sort of interested in connecting with, I guess, in any realm of my life. You know, like I want to be there to help people sort of grow their skills and have the space that they need to get there on their own. But I'm not looking to tell anyone here specifically what you need to do. <laughs> Right, I think actually that comes
1: up since I've been doing general tarot readings on YouTube. My tarot experience has been to read for myself or to read for people in person, either face to face or now you know like we're doing now with Zoom or Google Meet or something. But doing the YouTube videos, I don't have any interaction with the other person. I'm just talking to the camera, and I've realized that my my tarot style is very I guess professorial is the, tr- like I watch a lot of other people's YouTube videos and I think that a lot of them, they say mystical shit. They say like, this is what's gonna happen and I see this and this is that. And I realize that I like explain every single card and say, well, like this card next to this card means this and this and that. And I think that that is, some people just want to have like the, you know, the the revelation or whatever. But I've always said, I read tarot cards, I'm not a psychic. And how would you even do that with a YouTube general reading that hundreds or even thousands of people could see? You know, so I've realized that is like my style with that is that I wanna teach you about the cards, you know? (laughs) And so it's not just, I don't wanna just like give you information. I want to show you what the cards are and tell you how I got there. I wanna show you my math. Oh, get along well. (laughs) And there are people that, and I know that, you know, when I read in person at your store and especially during, not this year, obviously, but the year before, during the Halloween tourist season, there would be tourists that would come in and they just want to have a tower reading by a local witch and they want to be wowed. And that's not my reading style. And I know that some people were kind of like, okay, like, like, I don't know, people seemed kind of underwhelmed sometimes because like I want to like you know tell you about the cards and this means this and I want to have a conversation I'm not theatrical about it and I know that some people really just want the theatricality and just like some people want to come to a knitting class and be told you're making a purple scarf today they don't want to uh engage and that's it sounds like you know it sounds like I think that that's bad I don't think it's bad I think that it's just not me and if that's what you want, I mean, that's great. And you should find that person that will give that to you. Reading for the tourists was interesting because the people who wanted just short readings, who had never had a tarot card reading before, were didn't know what to make of my reading style. The people who came in and ordered, you know, they wanted a half hour or an hour long reading, and they had been to tarot readers before, we we had a tremendous readings. Like, you know, because they they knew what they were expecting and, and they really liked my style. So I think that people want different things. Do you think with your knitters, do you think that people who are more like hardcore knitters want to, you know, decide on their own? And you think it's more people who are more casual knitters that want to be told what their project is? Or do you think that's just,
0: you know, I really think it has to do With, you know, I'm hesitant to say hardcore versus not because there are people who are very, very avid knitters who just aren't interested in kind of the creative decision-making process. Mm. They want something to help, you know, manage stress or, you know, give them something to do with their hands. So I think it has to do more with why you're searching for something, right? Like in, in going back to the knitting example, but some people are doing this as a creative pursuit and they want to you know, make garments that are just theirs, that fit them the way they want, that's super creative, that's different, that's unique. And there are people who just, you know, find the thing that they like and they're like, I want to make this because I want this specific thing that I'm looking at and I want to copy it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people who aren't even necessarily interested in the finished object. We call them process versus project knitters. Some people just want something to do and they don't care. And at the end, they just, you know, give it away. And so I would see that as there can you can sort of draw that distinction as far as, you know, religious practitioners in general, witchcraft has that thing where everyone sort of is required to participate in a way, right? I've mentioned before mm-hmm. about witchcraft being a practice that is for active practitioners, not so much for you know, for an audience because it's, it's about pushing you to, to develop, but at the same time, you know, I remember going to, you know, being part of Lori Cabot's circles, and because it's a public circle, even going back to, you know, my days in Brazil, there are people who just want to be there to sort of witness and be around kind of that energy, but they're not necessarily looking to they don't necessarily have any spiritual or religious goals like they just enjoy that environment and so they need someone to hold space for that and then there's the people who are like you know I'm here because I want to become someone who is a vessel for spiritual energy and who does healing work right not everyone not everyone's meant to be a healer reiki practitioner tarot reader etc cetera, etc cetera. there is someone who is on the receiving end of that right i feel like i just rambled a yeah. whole bunch no,
1: I mean, we, we both have. Um, for your knitting example, I definitely know people who knit constantly, but they just make scarves and they give the scarves away. They just need to do something with their hands. Right. And so they just will knit scarves while watching television. They're not keeping them. Maybe they'll mit- do some like, you know, mittens at some point, but mostly they just want to, to do that thing with their hand. And you know, for some people, it's like, it's a way to deal with anxiety that, you know, if, your hands are doing something that you're not trying to figure out what to do. But to your, to your example about like, you know, people who just want to be in that space with public circles, I think that to go back to our original, like where this all started, you know, the idea of our need to, or our, our state of desire to practice in a group and then our difficulties actually doing that. I think that one of the things that is really important about really trying to have a group practice is that it does create space for those people who are interested but they they want to be maybe they want to be like worshipers in you know a more traditional sense that you know they don't want to be priests they want to participate by being in the audience and being in the audience is a participation and I think that that is When I said, you know, about like doing the tarot card readings, talking to a camera with no feedback whatsoever is different than talking to someone in person who is giving a very minor, just like kind of nodding yes or no, is different than someone who wants to really have a conversation about the cards. Like, although I'm doing the reading and they are the audience, like those levels of audience participation changes the practice changes my practice and so I think that you know those people that just want to watch I think that they can be a lot of people can kind of like look at them negatively like oh they're tourists or they're just spectators but and maybe a few of them are but I think that there is a very they play an important role people who just want to come and experience and receive that energy, but also give that energy back. The audience gives back a lot of it, energy. And so I think, that, I think that that's an important part of putting the effort in and creating those group bases. You know, I first moved up to Salem and you know, a lot of the people that we've talked to are uh, people who either work or attend a lot of events at Housewitch. And you know, we, in fact, the two of us met at a Tarot event there and, mm-hmm. you know, we've had Erica on as a guest, but they had been doing full and new moon circles in their space that I attended. And I met a lot of people there. And that was just kind of, it was a guided meditation and people just like sit around and talk for a little bit and then do a guided meditation and then talk for a little bit and leave. But that kind of group energy, it was definitely, it existed. Like even if a, a bunch of strangers sitting in a room doing a guided meditation, it exists. When you do your shamanistic Uh, journeys and there's a bunch of strangers (laughs) laying on the floor in a darkened room group energy or you know shaking the rattles doing our song like that group energy
0: exists and absolutely yeah and so I think that it becomes more a question of you know what is the type of group rather than does everyone have to participate or not and what does that mean and I'm obviously of course looking at this through a lens that is very that is you know witchcraft as religion that is my lens and that has. A lot of commonalities with Wicca even though I am not Wiccan. but I you know we talked about some of this with Lauren as far as what are the different stages of open to closed practice for a group, right And in my in, in my lineage when you have like a fully formed coven, you know like an official coven, everyone in the coven is initiated in the tradition. So everyone is clergy and everyone is assigned a specific role. So within that context, everyone is an active clergy member and participant. There is no passive role, but that is kind of the ultimate hierarchy and like the, you know, the closed, you know, the most closed space where you have the, you know, initiate mysteries that are shared that are part of the entire tradition. And then every coven is going to have sort of their own extra closed materials that are going to be kind of a subset to that. And then the other end of that spectrum is a completely open, this is a workshop, anyone who can sign up is there, and we're all sharing energy, and there's like no, you know, gatekeeping, for lack of a better word, and then there's sort of the spaces in between, you know, we talked about the the growth structure with Lauren, and that's, it's open to the public, but it's people who have made a commitment to study together, so there's kind of a little more filtering there, and then, you know, you, you, there's a step up from that where you have people who become dedicants into a tradition, and so there's a you know a slight slight filtering there so it's kind of somewhere between open and closed and then you get into the initiate and so it sort of goes from a, a range of people who have to be super active participants through to the other side where there's one person who's kind of in charge and holding space and teaching and everyone is kind of a of audience so there's you know there's right. that spectrum there yeah
1: unfortunately i think you know we were talking about like oh we should have public rituals we should do something and then, like, as soon as it started to get a little bit warm that we could do something outside, a pandemic happened. So, right. like, we've like all of those ideas that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast have been totally short-circuited by COVID. So, you know, there's definitely that aspect that we wanted to do that we haven't done. I, I think maybe I've talked about this before, but when I lived in Boston, this is many years ago, I was part of a group called the Boston Pagan Community Center, and our idea was that it was pagans of all different paths, and we would get together, and we would have meetings, and we would plan events, and it was really a, basically it was about, like, you know, the different pagan religions intermingling and sharing ideas and sharing space, and there was a grand plan that eventually we would have physical space. Eventually the leaders, as I said, the big problem in Boston things, keeping it together is that people graduate from college and they leave or they get a new tech job in California or whatever. So but I, I was part of a ritual that we did at a pagan pride day here in Massachusetts that there was different people from different, um, you know, pagan paths all took different, parts of the ritual. Like one person did the opening and one person did some sort of dedication. And, you know, there was like five different parts of it. And we all called on gods from different paths or, you know, whatever our traditions were. And it was actually really powerful. And it like, it really, it really worked, but it wasn't, it was from a bunch of different paths. It wasn't one specific religion. It was very, and and there's a word that I know that, um, it's used in like Christian spaces which I'm forgetting about like
0: non denominational
1: no not non denominational but when the different groups get to it's like I guess it's I guess it's just interfaith I I don't know but you know so but it wasn't haphazard it was very much planned like you know we all talked about this ahead of time and said you know what deities are you going to be calling for and you know making sure that it all kind of fit together and that um nothing we were going to do would be going against what somebody else was going to do or something like that. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot more, there's equal amounts of commonalities as there are differences, you know, and so you can really find them. And I think, so I think that there is a, a, there is an ability to create these sorts of rituals that are really open. And I think that having, having an open space is important as well to kind of, to let new people in, to see what's, you know, what is this about? I think that a lot of people, when they're just like starting out, like, oh, I'm interested, but you know, is it, what's this group like? Do I trust them? Are they going to ask me to get naked? Like, that's, that's honestly like a big worry that people have because they hear about, oh, the witches practice, you know, sky clad. Some of them do, but like, not like, you know, I don't. <laughs> so, you
0: yeah, know, but, very closed private settings that yeah. aren't going to be someone that I just met off the internet. <laughs>
1: right. So, but there's, you know, it's, it's a worry that people have like, what is expected of me? And so I think that, you know, if I was to plan a group ritual, if the world existed right now that I felt safe being around people even that I knew well, not just, <laughs> never mind strangers off the internet. I would really want to be able to set those kind of expectations ahead of time about like you know this is what the ritual is going to look like this is what's expected of you as an audience member maybe nothing is expected of you as an audience member but really spell that out to them mm-hmm. like you could re- literally just stand there if that's what is expected of you just be like don't talk during the ritual
0: <laughs> you know the most sort of powerful large group experiences that I have, have been doing the spiral dance. And the first time that that happened for me was when I was still in Brazil and I was 18 and it was at one of those big annual witch conferences. And we had a spiral dance that had probably, what, 150 people in it, if not more. And it took up this entire, you know, like event space. And to be caught in a movement flow like that with that many people is amazing. And I led a spiral dance in one of Lori Cabot's circles at Winter Island in Salem in 2007, 2008. And it was a much smaller group, but that was still amazing. And so that for me is something where I feel like it's a way that people can come together, whether or not they know each other, but they're engaging sort of in sacred dance and sacred geometry together in a way that flows really beautifully And it really can be with whoever wants to be there just to lend their energy. Like, there doesn't have to be, you know, anything more elaborate than that as far as how people show up. So solstice is coming up. I've
1: already talked about the, you know, the big conjunction that's happening on the solstice. So that's important. Um, We talked about our solstice traditions a little bit on our very first episode. Mm -hmm. So obviously, like last year, after we recorded that episode, we did get together and I did make the orange upside down cake, and we did scream. Yeah, we did our Yule yells. And we did write wishes on bay leaves and burn them. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not getting together again this year because there's a pandemic. Right. So how are your how are your traditions changing this year, or are they?
0: Well, so one thing that for me, I've been trying to sort of crystallize, and it's interesting because in the last year, I've really integrated, you know, my fiber arts and my witchcraft more, and I've come up with this project that I'm doing that's called the Fiber Witch Box, and our first installment was for Samhain, and I'm in the process of putting together the the solstice one for Yule, and I ended up doing this illustration Um digital illustration that got printed onto fabric and sewn onto zipper bags, but the imagery ended up being this very solar lunar balance thing, you know, winter, summer, holly king, oak king, there's all this symbolism that ended up kind of roped into it, and it really crystallized that idea of the return of the sun and return of the light for me as, as really being that core of the solstice energy, but it made me think about uh, you know, when putting together these boxes, there's there's a small spell, ritual component that I put together for, you know, for the box for people to do. And this year, the, the theme really is about, you know, what is your inner light and how to bring that out? Because going into 2021, into this new cycle, we really need healing for the world in a way that we haven't in a really long time with this pandemic, with, you know, the way that Trump really fucked everything up. We, the world needs to heal. The U.S. really needs to heal. And so I pulled a couple of tarot cards here on, uh, you know, what's what's the the sort of inner light that we can focus on bringing out collectively that to really help bring about change? And what is it that we should be kind of honing in on for the solstice? And the cards that I got were the Two of Swords and the King of Cups. And that to me is talking about the importance of really leading with the heart and really making soul and heart centered decisions. And I don't mean that in that typical, you know, and people say that a lot, like be heart centered, lead from the heart. And it sounds like this very like white lighty, you know, happy, go lucky, blah, blah, blah. And that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everything is beautiful, happy, go lucky, but really understanding, you know, when you're making decisions from the heart. What does that mean, right? To me, that means making decisions that are in alignment with, you know, with your sort of your personal compass. And to me, it's also about owning that responsibility that we've talked about so much, right? The responsibility that we have as witches to the world, to society, to do better. And, you know, when we make decisions, can we sort of look beyond personal gain and own that responsibility that we have to to leave the world better for future generations. And so I think that what this is saying is that we need to stop looking at things in such sort of cold, calculating, rigid ways, right? The Two of Swords is about that choice, but it's also about that inability to make the choice based on the swords. You're blindfolded, right? The answer is in that water behind, right? We have the King of Cups who is that steady point in all that raging water. And it's, you know, he really is owning that vessel of the heart. And so the the king position to me talks about servitude, right? That's the difference between the king and the queen positions. They have mastery, but the king has that obligation to help his community. And that's really what we can tune into, I think, at this The solstice is that idea of, you know, how can I serve with my heart to help make things better. And not in like a corny, shitty way, but like, really, like, what can we actually do? Like, realistically, and it might be ugly, hard, gritty work. I'm not saying that we're going to fix everything by covering everything in flower wreaths. There is heart-centered work that we really need to do.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as much as we want to say, like, oh, the the new year, it, it can only be better from this year. That doesn't happen magically, Or if it does happen magically, it's because people have actually done the magic. Um, So I think that, you know, it does, it requires all of us to be better. It requires all of us to care about other people. So much of the terrible things that have been happening this year are because people are not caring about other people. They're not wearing their masks when they're out in public. Sometimes like they're deliberately coughing on people just like to prove that they won't be told what to do. Right. And now, you know, Rudy Giuliani has COVID, which is, you know, yay in my book, but (laughs) he's, he's definitely had a, a, a bad month.
0: (laughs) could have happened to a nicer person. Right. So for me that, you know, my tradition is still happening in the sense that I'm still going to be looking at this as kind of the, you know, the peak of darkness. And I, you know, I'll be on, I've hit some serious lows in the last month. You know, I am someone who struggles with depression and, you know, I definitely have a heavy shadow to carry that, you know, as we all do, and it expands and contracts. And when we're in the dark half of the year, that shadow can really, really grow. And so, you know, my my job at the solstice is to sit with that and remember that darkness and light never exist in complete seclusion. There's always one in the other. And for me, it's going to be about really digging deep and finding that light that needs to come out because we need to get to the other side of this. And it's only going to be by all of us accepting responsibility that we're going to, you know, be able to make positive change. Right. Yeah. I think
1: I haven't decorated yet. And it's, it's hard for me this year because I didn't decorate for Halloween either. And usually I have a big party at Halloween and I have a big party sometime before the solstice the it has for I don't know for 10 12 years now we've had a tradition one or two Saturdays before the solstice we have a big brunch on a Sunday and I make so much food and I have a whole bunch of friends over and we watch holiday cartoons both classic good things like the Grinch and not classic terrible things like He-Man and She-Ra but um so this is like I mean that's like even more so than like going to my mom's house and seeing my family that Christmas brunch and I mean I don't celebrate I don't even know anyone who celebrates Christmas as a religious holiday but you know that that holiday brunch that that is my winter holiday tradition really and that's not happening this year and I'm not going down to see my mom and my sister's And like all of those things that I would normally be doing aren't happening. And so the idea of like, well, I should decorate the house for me and my husband and the cats. The fact is, yes, I should be doing that. I think mentally I do need that. But like you said, I, I also have issues with depression and like just getting over that. Why even bother? No one's going to see it. Well, I'm going to see it. And it's like, you know, Oh, like why I have all these lipsticks that I never wear. Because if I ever do go out of the house, I'm wearing a mask over my face. Well, I can wear lipstick around the house. Like I see it. My husband sees it. I can, you know,
0: so it's just. Yeah, I don't I, recommend wearing it inside your mask. I don't even wear lipstick. And I was trying <laughs> to like, very discreetly eat chocolate. And I ended up with like chocolate smeared inside my mask. So, you know, like could
1: just. Yeah. No, I I wear chapstick inside my mask if I'm like going out for a walk or something. The idea, I think part of like getting through the winter months in general, and especially during the winter months when we're so much more isolated than usual, I would say that like the idea of like telling myself that I can do things that even if I'm the only person who's going to notice that I have done something, that's good too. (laughs) I don't have to do nice things to perform for other people. I can, I can do that for me. You know, somehow that's a hard lesson to learn.
0: For me, I'm having to completely rediscover what this holiday means because the only reason that I still celebrated Christmas was for my dad. He loved Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, him and his now widow adored Christmas. And So for me, it was always wonderful because it made them so happy. And now, you know, dad's gone. And I'm struggling to find meaning in in Christmas outside of that. And you know, Yule has always been very private. And so it continues to be there. But now I don't really know what this part of the year means anymore. And that's, you know, that's a big change. And not everyone is going through quite such a drastic change, but everyone is having to celebrate the holidays in ways that they never that they never had before. Um, hopefully they are. Hopefully, yes. Please, please stay home. I have two friends right now who have COVID who caught it from grandma's house at Thanksgiving and I've been cooking meals and delivering them and buying meds and delivering them so please for fuck's sake stay home it's it's rough out there and everyone's like oh there's a
1: vaccine coming but it's going to be another year before it like everyone everyone who's willing to take the vaccine has taken it and it's like working it's going to be it'll it'll be close to a year it'll be like next it'll be this coming halloween before things will start getting back to normal so it's not there's not a magical switch that can that can fix this right but yeah so i I don't really know i haven't i haven't planned anything for the solstice yet i right now what i want to be doing and i keep dragging my feet on doing is that so Anna, you know this room because on last solstice, that's where we burned some candles and bay leaves. But so I have a small room that I was kind of using as altar space plus my home office. And I've been kind of like moving more businessy stuff into the guest room over the summer since not having any guests over. (laughs) Um, And so that, that, that front room, I want to make it more of a strictly religious altar shrine space. And I actually have got a new table to put up there that I need to paint and so like just kind of like getting that space set up to do more ritual work I'm hoping that that will um, help me kind of you know structure things but yeah I haven't really planned anything for for the solstice itself and as we were talking about before we started recording I do recognize my uh religious new year as the first visible crescent after of crescent new moon after the winter solstice so that's going to be it'll be visible in january 14th or 15th i think so that will be two three weeks i guess in between the solstice and and that uh, new moon is sort of i guess it's a it's a bigger cleansing period than normal um of i'm just kind of like clearing stuff out so that things can start fresh i do try to see you know have more of a lunar cycle and like that visible crescent is when things start new and you should start fresh from there so the new year is kind of multiplied from
0: that i guess but um, the the lunar new year for you this year is well next year is going to be in capricorn
1: Right. Yeah. We were looking at that before we started. Let me look at that. So the actual like um, astronomical new moon is on January 13th and it is, it is quite the, the chart. So Mars and Uranus are conjunct in Taurus and they are squaring a conjunction the, the the great conjunction i already talked about with saturn and jupiter but also with mercury in aquarius and then the new moon itself in capricorn is happening conjunct pluto so like everything is bunched up on the chart except neptune which is in pisces which is sextile that new moon so like everything oh and venus is also in capricorn which is trining the uranus mars conjunction but like everything is touching everything else in this very kind of packed grouping that everything is happening in between capricorn and taurus so you know that's only like a third of the circle if you look at it that everything is happening in it's a very energy i'll say it's a very energetic chart with astrology it's kind of like people say oh like squares and oppositions are bad and trines and sextiles are good, but it's more one of them is kind of easy and one of them is hard, or even more so one of them is lazy and one of them is energetic, um, depending on how you interact with them. You know, you can say, oh, well, a trine is, is good, it's easy, but you can also just like be lazy with a trine and like just expect the universe to work for you and with an with a square or an opposition, it's a little bit harder, but it's kind of like it can be that lever that pushes things to move. People with birth signs with more squares in them tend to be more active go-getters than people with a lot of trines. But uh, it's a very it's a very energetic chart for that new moon in Capricorn in January. So uh,
0: That's good. Yeah. I think that yeah. everyone's feeling a little low energy right now. So I think it makes sense for everyone to kind of do their A dark part of the year sort of hunkering down through the solstice and then have a nice energetic start to 2021 to do all the the witchy things. Yeah. We're actually coming to the end of our episode. And so, yeah, it's been... An amazing year and we're so excited that so many people have wanted to chat with us and we hope that you want to keep chatting with us next year. Again, we're going to be taking a break from now until January 30th, so after solstice, after the Lunar New Year. But in the meantime, please go back and take a look at our archives, but send us questions so that we can spend lots of fun time together next year answering them. And our email is askawitch at witchcitywitches.com.
1: Yeah. And uh, we hope to uh, see you back here in the new year and we'll have some positive change. It'll be after the inauguration and we'll see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) I think some people are hoping that certain someone gets dragged out kicking and screaming, but we'll see what happens.
0: (laughs) I, I might be in that camp. Well, happy solstice, everyone, and we'll catch you right before in bulk. Thank you, everybody.